Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Wednesday edition of The Yard, and t- I tell you what, you guys have gotten spoiled, man, you really have. It's three days in a row. Some of you are probably thinking, there's no way Steve will do one Wednesday. You're wrong. I told you I was going to do it. So Tuesday's a bonus episode. We get back on schedule today. It's after midnight here, and I- I'm tired. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm tired. It's catching up to I'm, I'm an old guy now. But... uh you know, it's like I spoke with Sid Salter earlier this week. I said, Sid, how you doing? He goes, oh, pretty good for an old man. I said, yeah, but not worth a darn for a young man, right? That's, that's how I feel some days. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's worth it, man. It's like we, we invest so much emotional energy and all that stuff. And when you count, you get the payoff, sometimes the payoff itself, you know, is kind of draining. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like the relief of it all. It's like, oh, now I can finally rest and kind of let that be still for a while. But, uh you know, it's been a busy day. Got the approval on the credentials from uh, the College World Series. Never expected that to be an issue. But you know, certainly something we thought about earlier in the year. You know, we were told there was a good chance they were going to limit media at the College World Series to 50% of normal capacity. And so that could have meant some difficult decisions uh, for media relations between Mississippi State and the College World Series. Because here's the deal. It's like everybody wants to put resources and kind of allocate some money to to send people to travel, you know, if a team is playing for a championship. But I, I can, guys, I'll tell you this, you know, and, and I, I'm not speaking about anybody in particular on our beat. I'm just kind of in, in general speaking about this because I see these people, man. It just drives me nuts. It's like, yeah, I, I, won't, I won't say who, but um, let's just say it was a team that we've played recently in the postseason. And uh, I was over there reading their message boards and kind of seeing what they were saying about us and seeing about the game, whatever. And they're like, hey, man, thanks for your coverage of baseball this year. And so I'm like, well, man, this guy must be killing it. Maybe I can learn something. No, doesn't even go to the games. He just writes a column about the games. And, guys, there's a difference between covering baseball and writing a column. Anybody can watch a game on TV or on the ESP and have them go write a column. There's no skill involved in that. There's no personal sacrifice. But I take this stuff really seriously. I think you have to have some credibility in the room, man. So, you know, when all that began to kind of break loose, you know, early on it was like, hey, listen, you know, we may not have enough spots in Omaha for everybody. It looks like it's going to be okay. And part of that is because we don't have anybody covering Mississippi State in the newspaper media. We'll get that a little bit later in the show. But, uh, you know, and so I, I'm on the road. And it gets lonely sometimes out there, I'll be honest with you. But, uh, you know, the very first weekend of the year, you know, the first SEC road trip, you know, we went down to LSU and – uh, ben Portnoy was there, and uh, that's when he told me over lunch at Mike Anderson's that he was leaving to go to South Carolina, which had been the best. And there's Dalton Middleton was down there, and now Dalton's leaving us to go to Montgomery and uh, wish those guys the absolute best. But, um, you know, it's lonely on the road sometimes, for sure. Went over to Auburn. Robbie joined me for, uh, I guess, all three games down there. And then uh, uh, Tyler Horker was there for one. Tyler, of course, leaving us to go to South Bend, Indiana to cover the Irish. I guess they could have just rode the bus back with him, right? I guess they could have. They didn't. But, uh, you know, I, I just kind of always felt like, you know, if you put forth the effort and you, and you make the commitment to go do the job right, that um, when the time comes, you're going to be good. And many of you have reached out, and it's it's very sweet of you, really. It said, hey, Steve, I know they're, they're limiting media at, at Omaha. I hope you get to go. You know, again, I never really worried about it, but it's always good to get that approval. And, of course, people in Mississippi State are like, oh, you're good, you're good, you're good. It's nice to get that. But if you get that approval, it's great. So our crew that's going out there, it's going to be me and Robbie and uh, Dave Murray. 
Dave Murray's going to go. And I think I've shared with you guys before, and, I, and I'll just kind of touch on a little bit here just because, you know, in case you missed it. You know, Dave is a guy when I was, uh, you know, when I was still trying to figure life out, I kind of stumbled across the uh, the Dog's Bite tabloid newspaper deal. You know, Joe Deere and Dave Murray used to work on that. And uh, and so I was at my dad's house. My, one of my older sisters had gotten my dad a subscription to Dog's Bite for Christmas. And so there would have been a little, new, little newspaper. Some of you guys are old enough to remember when that thing was out. You know, Dave's been with us now, I guess, 20 years. But, um, you know, I was jealous, man. I was like, who is this David Murray guy? And how did he get so lucky where he just covers Mississippi State? Because, you know, all the media people that I knew, you know, were like, you know, people that worked for, you know, the state newspapers, and they would have to do a lot of different things. They'd cover high school sports, and they'd do other stuff, and then, you know, they'd do the college stuff too. But it was just different, you know. And I was like, man, it's Dave Murray, guys. He's the best job in the world. All he has to do is cover Mississippi State. It's incredible. I need to find out what that guy did to get that job. You know, and here we are. But I've got so much respect for David Murray. And a lot of you guys don't remember this, but Dave used to be SID for baseball. You know, through some of our great years. You know, in the 80s, Dave was, Dave was the guy. And so I listen to David when he talks. And a lot of it, maybe not necessarily about, you know, game strategy or things like that, but, you know, he has so many great stories. And so that is a friendship that I hold really dear. You know, and and I'll be honest with you, in the beginning, I was kind of intimidated by David because he was such a good writer. I just thought to myself, you know, how can I even talk to this guy about writing? I'm sure when he reads my stuff, he thinks, man, look at this trash, you know. But, um, you know, Dave's been great, man. And and, uh, it's been one of the joys of my life to work with David Murray. And uh, he's been so gracious to me, and, you know, he's been so supportive. And uh, we went to Omaha back in 19. You know, we go down to the field, everything. I told you story about getting the Gatorade cup, and he scoops up some dirt, and he looks at me, and he says, you never know when it's going to be your last time. And we don't. And I think sometimes we get so spoiled, we take it all for granted. We think, well, you know, we'll be back in Omaha in the next year or two. And, you know, we've been three years in a row now. And so, we, you know, it's like, hey, well – I'm not going to go this year. I'll just go next year. No guarantee we get there next year. You remember, uh, you know, we had that stretch in the 80s when we were, you know, arguably one of the most dominant teams in college baseball. We don't make it in 89. We make it in 90. And then we don't go again until 97, 98. And then that was, you know, Pat McMahon. We're thinking, hey, things will be okay. Pat leaves us for Florida. We bring Polky back. And then we don't make it back to Omaha to 2007. You know, then we get into the 2010s and things kind of change for us. You know, we go 13, we go 16, excuse me, we go 13, 18, 19, and now 2021. And so, yeah, we're trending in the right direction, but you can't ever take it for granted that we're going to get to Omaha. And part of the show today, I'm going to talk about that, about how difficult it is to get to Omaha. You know, we think we know, but we don't. I mean, sometimes you, know, you need the lens of hindsight to really appreciate how hard it is to get there. You know, I, I hearken back to that 89 team. I interviewed Ben McDonald here a few months ago before the LSU series, and Ben would tell you that 89 Bulldog offense was legit. You talk about having length in the lineup. I mean, there are names that I still remember. I, I can give you the whole group. I mean, you know, it's like you, know, you got Raffo, and you got uh, Berg Masters, and you got Brad Hildreth, and you got Pete Young, and you got. Uh, John Cohen, you got Tracy Eccles, you got Jody Hurst, you got Richie Graham, God rest his soul. You got Barry Winford, you got John Shave. I mean, you know, these are the reason we remember all those names is because how great that team was. 
And we were number one most of the year that year. And we get upset by North Carolina with a couple of soft toffs and lefties, and we don't make it to Omaha. And maybe we just kind of felt like maybe it was a foregone conclusion. We could just kind of show up and play and make it, but we didn't. Kind of makes me think about this 2021 Arkansas team. Arguably the best team in their history. And they're going to be watching the College World Series from home. We've been there. We also have never won an AFL championship, and neither have they. And those are the things that I think about. You know, I remember that 89 team, how crushing that was when we didn't make it. Because I think every one of us, everybody that loves Mississippi State back then, says, you know what, If once, once we get to Omaha, we're, we're going to go out there and kill these guys. We're going to make it. We're going to bring a trophy home. And then we don't make it. It's supposed to be a rebuilding year 1990, and we end up in Omaha. So we should never just take it for granted and say, well, you know, I'll go next time. You don't know when the next time is going to be here. And the fun thing about it is, is even though our run in 1990 was kind of short-lived, it was kind of a cool thing. You know, it's like, how crazy is this that we're going to Omaha, you know, with kind of a rebuilt team? But we did it. Kind of like when we went in 07, we didn't have any business going in 07. We just got hot late, and Mitch Moreland kind of carried us a little bit. Kind of made some big things happen for us. 2013, we just kind of get hot late. Next thing you know, we're playing for a national championship. Many guys on that team will take it. They still replay that series at night. They lay their heads on the pillow and let the, the problems of the day just kind of drift away. And right when they're drifting off, getting ready to go to sleep, they, they think about UCLA. They think about those new BB core bats and those old baseballs. And they wonder what if. It was really almost kind of like a product of the times, you know. It just you know, the game was changing, the equipment was changing. It just didn't work out for us. But you know those improbable runs like we have in 1990 and then 2013 and 2018. And and listen, that 13 team was loaded. We had some studs on that team. It just took us a while to kind of find an identity, kind of like this year, even though our our record was much better. It took us a while to kind of find the identity. But, you know, those improbable runs to Omaha are often our funnest ones, you know. And this year is kind of a weird year for us because, you know, I think last year we all said, you know what, hey, we have gone two years in a row. We're going to bring every, just about everybody back. You know, I think we had everybody back except for Gunnar Halter and uh, you know, Jake Mangum, Ethan Small. We said, you know what, we're, hey, we're, we're good. Hey, we're, I guess Mac was gone, but you, know, but you understand my point. We returned a very strong nucleus. Then they canceled the season. We lose what Foskey and Westberg. And we still felt, you know what, hey, we, we could be an Omaha team. We can be. Because I think we all kind of knew, you know, w- with all the veterans coming back, we'd be okay. And everybody else is going to be competitive. Everybody else is going to be loaded, too. And there were some teams like that. I mean, we talk about this Notre Dame team. They're old. Old wins in this league. We're not really that old. Notre Dame is. I had a discussion with a friend earlier, and I said, you know, it kind of reminds me of that 16 Texas A&M team where they had all those juniors and seniors. And, you know, they didn't win the SEC that year either. We did. And so – yeah, it's been, a, it's been a different year, but here we are uh, back in Omaha. You know, we talked about on the show the other day, it's never been done before in our school history. I think it's also a good thing because I think guys like Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan, it's not the novelty of them. You know, there are a lot of people that work and work and work and work and work and work and work, and it's all they can do to get to Omaha, and then it's like, okay, everything else is a bonus. I just don't think that's our focus. 
I don't think our focus is, hey, hey, you know what? We get to change the, the decals on the outfield wall. You know, we get to update the media guide. That's not our goal. That may be the goal of some other teams. We just want to make it to Omaha and get some shirts and go have a good trip and go home. Now, we're, we're going there to win it all. Now, we may not win it all, but that's our focus, to go win the national championship. We're not going over there to play it close. We're not going over there to have some Omaha steaks. We're not just going to go over there for the opening ceremonies and get our picture made and come home. It's not just, you know, to go out there and stand in front of that statue, that Warren Morris statue. Now, that's not it. We're going to win an AFL championship. That's, our, that's the whole reason we're going. And that should be our goal every year. Is this team capable of winning the NFL championship? Absolutely they are. We get into Friday's show, we're going to kind of detail some things out, but the thing that I will point out to you too, and, and, you know, TD Ameritrade plays big, and it's not just the dimensions. You know, wind's kind of blowing in a little bit. It is a different place. I do believe the balls are a little bit hotter this year. So there may be some home runs that out there, but it's not going to be this offensive, uh, you know, showcase. And so I think that works well for Mississippi State because, you know, when you have the deepest pitching staff in the tournament, you, know, you ought to have an opportunity to go out there and do some big things. And that's the thing that I begin to think about all year long. We have kind of wrestled with this third starter thing. We have fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it. And now we're getting ready to go to Omaha. And I think it's apparent at this point Houston Harding is the guy. You know, the Missouri start, you know, if we're being fair with ourselves, also with the lens of hindsight – you know, that's the exception rather than a rule. We've won most of the games that Houston Harding has pitched in, whether they be starter as a reliever. In order for us to win this thing, you know, we're going to have to get good start quality pitching out of our starters. We did in the regionals. You know, of course, I, I'm counting Harding as the start there. I know first, though, you know, got one out in the first inning. We had to go get him. But that was Houston Harding's game. But, you know, we pitched it pretty well in the regional. We didn't pitch it so great in the Super. And I think, listen, I don't think that is a, an indictment on Mississippi State pitching. I think it's really a you know, tip of the cap to, to Notre Dame. Listen, those guys came in a swing. They reminded me a lot of Arkansas, just not quite as powerful. Those guys came in looking to swing the bats. And they're very, very, very aggressive swings. They're not a bunch of punch and Judy hitters. Those are guys that are out there swinging the bats with ill intent. And so I think it's a good test for us, you know, to get an Omaha quality team to come to the Super Regional. I'm going to explain that a little bit later in the show why I feel that's so important. You know, we've been tested in the postseason. I don't even count the Hoover thing because, again, I don't think we went over there with an earnest attempt to go win the tournament. And you know what? In hindsight, if we went over there and just kind of went through the motions and look at where we are now, it was worth it. The competitor in me struggles with that. But I think sometimes you look at the bigger picture. Nobody will ever admit it, but you'll never convince me we went over there and put our best foot forward. But here in the postseason, we, we have been tested. You know, I read some of these things sometimes in the Facebook groups, and y'all make me want to tie my dreads up and, and hang myself with them. Um, no, I don't mean that. But it's just so insane to read some of the comments. It's like, Oh, well, this guy hadn't been good, and this guy – and I, I just go look at the numbers, and I'm like, did, did, I, did I misremember that? Did I, did, I, did I not remember that correctly? You know, did, did I miss a ball game? I mean, I, I, think, I think I've been to all of them, but did I, but did I miss one? You know, 
And uh, I go look at the numbers, and I'm like, well, I don't understand where this is coming from. So they, there's just a lot of um, there's a lot of opinion not rooted in facts, and that's what's so interesting to me is, you know, the statistics are the statistics, and then it's like once the statistics prove our take wrong, we want to change it to a matter of an opinion. Uh, it's not a matter of opinion. Either a guy gets the job done or he doesn't get it done. And so I, w- I want to look at a couple of these before we kind of move on. And because uh, there's a lot I want to cover in today's show. I don't know how long it will go because I mentioned I told you guys I'm tired. Uh, but let's start with uh, Will Bednar. Yeah, I have read at least once a day on social media somewhere about how bad our pitchers are. Can they be better? Absolutely. But let's look at what is rather than what we think is. Will Bednar, 16 appearances this year. He has done 74 innings. 67 hits, that's less than a hit per inning. He has allowed just 32 earned runs, 29 of them, 29 earned runs, 32 total. Guys, he's walked 20 and struck out 113. Let that sink in for a second. You know, the, the gold standard is supposed to be three Ks to one walk. He's got five to one. <laughs> five to one. He has allowed uh, 11 dingers. And a lot of that, too, is you're challenging hitters. You know, when you're a max effort, effort pitcher, it's going to happen. Just two wild pitches on the year, seven hit by pitches, and a lot of that came earlier in the year, and a lot of it's just being aggressive. But he's got a 7-1 and one record. I mean, if, you, if they told you beginning of the year that, listen, Will Badnar is going to go 7-1 and one this year and have over 100 strikeouts, you'd say, you know what, let me take that right now. I'll take it right now. Because he's supposed to be your number two, right? Yeah, did he, did he pitch exceptionally well against Notre Dame? No, he didn't. He didn't. But let's back up a little bit here. Against Samford, he goes seven innings, six hits, three runs, gets a W. We won 8-4. I don't even count the Tennessee game because we were just getting some work. That game was already over. The, the start before that, Alabama, he goes eight innings, three hits, no runs, 11 strikeouts. And so I just – it's well, he just hadn't been good as of late. And this is the comment going into the weekend. That's not what the numbers show. I think sometimes we, we feel this need to apologize for our success. Like we're bracing for the fall. It's like you know, we just want to gotta lay some groundwork so we can come back later and say, I told you so. I told you so. Listen, belief is a wonderful thing. It's okay to believe in something. I believe in Mississippi State. You know, I've said on this show a couple of times, I think something is missing. And maybe we're beginning to find it. You know, with the Houston Harding and Brad Cumbus and those guys, maybe maybe we're starting to find it. But it's a journey, man. I mean, for, look at this. You know, the University of Texas, a team that we're going to play that's the number two team uh, in the tournament. Right now, the, I guess the, you want to be fair about it, they're the top seed in the tournament now. Now, their Arkansas is gone. They went 0-3 the first weekend, and we absolutely dominated them in that ball game. Absolutely dominated them. Beat Ty Madding, best pitcher in the Big 12. We went out there and rocked him. And so you don't think those guys were thinking early in the year, we're not going to Omaha, but yet here they are. It's a long year. A lot happens over the course of a season. You begin to find yourself, or you don't. Let's look at Christian McLeod's numbers, and yeah, I'll give you that. He's been up and down. Yeah, I remember when we got ready to go play Eastern Michigan, I think we were all thinking, you know, can we trust this kid on the road at LSU? Goodness gracious. 
Eastern Michigan. He goes five innings, gives up one hit, no runs, strikes out 11. But let's look at the more recent stuff. All right, so against uh, Alabama, he goes over there, uh, seven innings pitched, five hits, two runs, ten strikeouts. You know, Tennessee, we started him out there, and, and again, I, I don't, it's like an anomaly. I don't, it's like I don't even want to talk about what happened in the SEC tournament. VCU, he goes five and two-thirds. We leave him in a batter too long. We give up that two-run bomb, but he strikes out 12. 123 pitches, right? I mean, he, he really worked for us in that ball game. But I think we say, well, you know, he gave up that, that two-run shot to end it. You know, you hate that, but that's not on him. I, I think that's really on the coaching staff. I think you've got to go yank him when you know he's ready to go. But, you know, there, there's more to the box score than just the runs. It's 123 pitches, man. This guy went out there, it was an absolute warrior, and we leave him in the ball game because we're winning this thing going away. We're trying to save some arms. So, yeah. When you got a big lead like that, we're saying, listen, Christian, go out there, throw a dadgum strike. Don't walk anybody. Throw it down the middle if you have to. Let them get themselves out. And he still strikes out 12. You know, was he good against Notre Dame? Nah, he wasn't. He wasn't. But it's been like that with him, up, down, up, down, up, down. And so here's the thing. If that's the pattern, he ought to be up in Omaha. Yeah, and it just they, I read the other day too about how Houston Harding uh, hadn't been good as a starter. I, I I don't know what we're doing. I I I don't I don't understand it. The, you know, the team that I've watched, uh, Houston Harding's actually done really well for us. You know, he's uh, we had I guess we had won every start of his I guess except from uh, TCU in Missouri. In a TCU game, if you recall, he found out he was starting an hour before the game. And that's when Bednar had the stiffness in the shoulder and the neck area, right? And so Hootie finds out and goes out there and competes for us. He really does. I mean, he only goes just over three innings, but he allows one hit and one run. We lose the ball game 3-2, and he gets charged with a loss. His, guys, his record's 7-2, and two, and he loses his very first start. So think about that for a second. He's thrown basically to the Wolves against a top-10 opponent in their home state. And we get beat 3-2. And if you recall, Drew McGowan hit an absolute blister back up the middle, and they had the, they were shaded up the middle, and they got him. Yeah, balls hit four, two or three feet either way. We win that ball game, and we go undefeated on the weekend, and maybe we're number one in the country. Hoodie comes back as a starter against Southern Miss, goes five innings, two hits, one run, gets his first victory. The next week he goes against Louisiana, three hits, no runs, Eight Ks, second victory. Got that ERA down to 1.17. Week later, he's pitching against Samford. Wasn't a great outing, but he kept him off the scoreboard. Goes three and a third, four hits, no runs, a couple strikeouts. Just didn't have his best stuff that night. But we win the ball game. He does, and then he basically is a reliever and reliever. And reliever, and reliever. You know, he kind of became the piggyback guy for Jackson Fristo. And it worked pretty well for us. I, I would say, you know, you know, looking at these numbers here, I mean, you know, we throw him on the road at Auburn. He goes three innings, two hits, one run, picks up a victory. We win that ballgame 19-10. The next week, we're, you know, Super Bulldog weekend, and he gets a W over Ole Miss, goes three in the third, gives up a couple runs, I guess three runs there. But pitch well enough to get a W, we get it there. 
the next really great show when he had was against A&M. In a sweep, four hits, no runs. We win the ball game 10-5, and he's a 5-1 record holder at that point. And then we had the bad showing against Mizzou, and he gets the, the second loss there. Since that time, since that loss against Missouri, and you know that's the thing about being a competitor, when you finally get your chance to shine on a big stage and a chance to throw in an SEC weekend – and it doesn't happen for you, you got one or two options. You can kind of accept the fact, you know what, I'm just going to be a role player on this team where you can say, you know what, Coach, give me the ball. Give me the ball. I'm better than that. And he is. So in his three appearances since the Missouri debacle, he goes five and two-thirds against Alabama, two hits, no runs. And only strikes out a a couple there. (laughs) Comes back against Campbell in the regional – Five innings in relief, 10 strikeouts, three hits, two runs, and we get the win. And then against Notre Dame, he's not credited with the win, but we don't win without him. Four innings pitched, four hits, two runs, gets four strikeouts. And I really think that uh, bottom of the second probably got him off schedule a little bit too. You had to sit around and get stiff. But it's taken us, you know, the better part of four months, but I think we've finally figured out this is our guy. We started with Sarantola on Sundays. Didn't work out. We went to Fristo. It worked pretty well for a while. Then we started piggybacking a little bit. But, you know, we've evolved over the course of the season. And now here we are. I think our rotation is finally settled as we get ready to go to Omaha. You know, Bednar, I, I think Will Bednar can beat anybody in the country. I do. I, I think it's I don't even think he's got to have his best stuff, but when he does, I, I don't think there's anybody can beat him. I, I have so much confidence in him. I think that he is a guy that's going to go out there and compete hard and pound his own. Not going to walk a lot of people. So, yeah, is he good enough to go beat Texas? You better believe it. Yeah, I think Christian McLeod also benefits from playing at TD Ameritrade. This is a fly ball machine, man. That's what he does because he wants to pitch up in his own. He likes still a lot of breaking balls. Sometimes he hangs them, and sometimes he pays for it. But I think giving him a little more margin for error will allow him to kind of pitch in his comfort zone. And as long as we don't get out there and walk people and hit people, we're going to win the ball game. And so then you start thinking through this thing. Okay, if we get a winning effort from those two guys and then you got to throw Harding, you know, listen, I think Houston Harding has shown that uh, he's, he's okay being in the fire. He's absolutely fine in the fire. And you got to be mentally tough. And this is a guy, too, that was, you know, junior college transfer. And there were some people that were wondering if he was even going to make the team when he got here. And then here he is pitching for us and the game was sent us to Omaha. And he's like the coolest cucumber in the building, man. You know, we're all out there stressing and he's out there doing it. And the thing, and I'll ask him this when I get a chance to talk to him again. One of the things that I noticed is that right before first pitch, he goes over to Cam James. They've thrown the ball around or whatever, and we're getting ready to go. And he walked to every infielder. I don't know what he said to them, but one by one, he went to every guy to make sure they were ready. And I don't know what he told them. I don't know what they told him. But I thought that that, that was a great sign where, where Hootie's kind of telling his guys, all right, let's go. I got this. Let's go. I, I'm going to let you guys do the work for me. I'm curious to know what he said. But I thought it was a very mature thing. And I think it really shows that he is kind of growing into being that guy. And, again, it's taken us all year to figure it out. But you want to be playing your best baseball at the end of the year. 
And so if it's taken us four months to figure out that Brad Cumbust is the guy that's going to be a, a big part of things for us in the order, because he's just now kind of rounding in a midseason form, right? No summer ball, no fall ball. You know, it's taken him a few months now. All of a sudden, uh, he's seeing the baseball well, seeing it up and putting good swings on it. It doesn't matter if it took us four months to figure it out. As long as we did, and then we're going to Omaha as more of a complete team. That's my thoughts on it. We've got a lot more to say. But again, I would much rather know who I am now when it matters most. You know, if we had settled all this at Missouri weekend, you know, we'd probably feel a little bit better about life. But I think in many respects, maybe we did figure it out Missouri weekend. Maybe we did. Maybe Scott Fox and those guys kind of said, you know what, if we don't make that error in the first inning, and maybe that's just Hootie being a little bit anxious there because it is his first SEC start. We're right in the thick of the SEC title chase. But that's proven to be the outlier rather than the pattern. So it is what it is. And I, I think Harding will be really good in Ameritrade. I, and I hope we get a chance to see him pitch. Because if we see him pitch, that means we're still playing in Omaha, right? That means we've at least won one game, maybe two. But I like the way this thing is trending with the pitching right now. You can say, well, Steve, you know, Christian this, Christian that. You know, listen, it's an up and down deal with him. And we all know that he generally pitches better on the road. And so that's the thing. You look at his pattern again where he's been up and down. He ought to be up the first start at Omaha. He's on the road in a pitcher's friendly park. So, again, if we can just command that breaking ball and not walk people, I think Christian's going to win us a ball game. I can just about talk myself into just about anything. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. I tried the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas. 
is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. But you know, the, my biggest concern right now, kind of heading into this deal, is not pitching. I think Scott Foxhall and Chris Amonis have demonstrated they can kind of piece this thing together as need as they need to, to to advance through the club. And so, it'd be nice if we get Bednar to go out there and throw uh, you know six seven innings. And that's the thing too; it's not like a typical four team regional. We we get a day off, and because you get that rest, you can bring your number one back if you have to. You know, we're going to play on Sunday, turn around and play again on Tuesday. If we win one of those ball games, we're planning to get on Thursday. Then we get into the weekend. You know, so it's like you throw Bednar on game one, McLeod game two, and Hootie in game three. Well, if you get into the weekend, you bring you can bring Will back on pretty much his normal rest. So those are things to consider. You know, it's not four games in three days or whatever. That's not how it works out there. All right, let's get into the show. I feel like we've already been riding the boat for a while anyway. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show. I was by there today. Didn't go in to eat, probably going tomorrow. I've had two other people reach out and say, hey, Steve, I give the thumbs up to the fully bologna sandwich, the fully bologna burger, and so now, now I have to go. You know, I've had Roy give me the thumbs up. I've had two other people reach out and, and say, hey, listen, Steve, I went and tried it. It's fabulous. A lot of protein on that burger. So me and the kid will probably get down there tomorrow and eat there. You need to go by and check them out, too. Find your own favorites. And you know what? Even if I'm not feeling the full of bologna that day, I'm going to get that grilled chicken club, which is outstanding. If you're not eating carbs, you can get one of those great salads. You're not going to finish that either. I'm just telling you, the portions at Bulldog Burger Company are phenomenal. Great food at a great price with a great service and a great atmosphere, always with a smile. Three great locations to serve you. You know what? You folks in central Mississippi, you lucky dogs, you got that new Lake Harbor location right there in Ridgeland. I know a lot of people in Madison County excited about that, and you should be. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, a fantastic location there, and then the flagship right here on University Drive in Start Vegas. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. You know, we're going to Omaha for the 12th time, and I remember a few years ago we had been nine times, and I kind of scratched my head, and I said, man, it seems like there should have been more. You know, and for a long time we didn't get a lot of respect. I don't know if you guys know this, in 1948, we won the SEC championship. And we didn't get to go to the district tournament in Gastonia. The SEC sent Alabama and Georgia instead, even though we were the SEC champions. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. So let's look at, you know, what the College World Series has kind of been in the SEC. To kind of put in context what it means to have gone 12 times. 
Because I don't know that the casual fan really appreciates that. It's, okay, we're going to Omaha. Okay, it's tough to get to Omaha. You can say, well, you know, Steve, yeah, I mean, I understand you play some good teams. No, it's not always even about that. All it takes is a bad weekend by one pitcher and your tournament is over. Or you run into a red-hot pitcher on somebody else's team. There's always somebody out there with a chip on their shoulder that maybe you don't take them seriously and they come out there and shove, and next thing you know, you're in a loser's bracket game. So I've looked these numbers up, and I am tired. So I might – I'm confident in these numbers. But you know what? If one of you guys say, hey, Steve, you missed this one, it, it's okay. It, it'll be okay. So for those of you that don't know, Mississippi State is tied for second in the SEC for most College World Series appearances. Second. Only behind LSU who is the creme de la creme in the SEC. As much as I hate to say that, that's the truth. They're not playing for an NFL championship this year. They're home. About to go through a coaching change. A lot of people think it's going to be Mike Bianco. I don't know. I, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's good for Ole Miss. I mean, and I don't say that out of malice or anything like that. But I also understand the Ole Miss you know, fan side of this thing. It's like, yeah, we've had this guy for 21 years, but he can't seem to get us over the hump. And let's be honest, I mean, even that College World Series appearance in 14 was kind of fluky, right? I mean, it was. It's, but the bottom line is you, they made it. But that's one time. One time in my lifetime. They went in June of 92 before I was born. And they've been one time since then. And I kind of made a joke about that on the radio. Some people do it once in a lifetime. We, we kind of do it regularly now. And so... Yeah, but at the same time, too, you like when you think about where Ole Miss has come from, I mean, yeah, you got to be grateful for Mike Bianco if you're an Ole Miss guy. But sometimes you have to be honest with yourself and say, you know what, maybe he's taking us as far as he can. Now, here's the thing, too. It is a good job with good resources and a great commitment from the fans to go out and support him. I mean, I mean how many of these stupid powder blue shirts do you see all over the state of Mississippi? And so, yeah, they're going to be able to get a good coach. Uh, I don't think it's Dan McDonald despite what some of their people will say. But I do think there's a good chance they could get Cliff Goodwin, who is a really good coach at ECU. And this is probably his time. You know, Lane Burroughs, a guy from Louisiana Tech, that's a guy I'd want to talk to as well. And so they're going to get a good coach. And, uh, and there's no guarantee that Bianco's leaving anyway. He may decide, you know what, I'm just going to stay here. I know there are some uh, fat cats down in Baton Rouge that want to get Mike back to Baton Rouge. You know, he and his family are from Louisiana. Uh, I don't think his son has anything to do with the decision-making process at all. I think Mike also probably wants the security of knowing, hey, I go down there, you know, I got three or four years. You know, you know familiarity breeds contempt. And if you're, you're Mike Bianco, I mean, you, you begin to look at this thing and say, every time I turn around, somebody up here wants me fired. You know, the old Miss record book is the Mike Bianco era. I mean, Tom Swayze had some good years up there as well. Uh, Jay Gibbs had a couple of good years, decent years, I guess you could say. But, you know, the Ole Miss baseball tradition kind of begins and ends with Mike Bianco. And so, again, I understand that sometimes it's just better for everybody to get a fresh start. And so I won't be surprised either way. I, I do think Mike Bianco is an interesting choice if he does go to LSU because his postseason record has been so bad. But the one thing that the people can say about Mike, and, I, you know, I've had several people that have said this. He, he does run a clean program, which is, you know, obviously something that's different for Ole Miss. 
but you know he, he's just a guy that doesn't he kind of stays out of trouble you know you don't hear about his kids getting in trouble and when there are some issues they handle it you know and, but again that's that's a Mike Bianco issue not necessarily an Ole Miss issue and so I can understand why he'd be attractive he is an alum he's a Louisiana guy he is a guy that's a very 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 good recruiter He's a guy that runs a clean program. And he's a guy that wins and gets them in the mix, and they're in the Super Regionals more times than not. But, uh, yeah, they have kind of fallen on some hard times in many respects in the postseason since Dan McDonald left. You know, Dan McDonald was the architect of those early 2000 teams. And uh, I know that's one of the reasons that that's probably uh, he's so attractive uh, as a potential candidate at Ole Miss. But, you know, Chris Lamonis and Dan McDonald both have said they're best friends. They don't want to play against each other. I can't imagine they want to recruit each other head-to-head either. Uh, so we'll see. And the pathway to Omaha through Louisville, Kentucky, is a lot easier than it is in Oxford, Mississippi. But I'm glad we're not having to worry about that. So, again, LSU sets the standard. 18 appearances. And then Mississippi State and Florida tied with 12. And so speaking of Florida, here's what I did. I looked at the number of appearances – and then the number of appearances in the last 10 years, and then how many times a team has won it. So Florida has gone to the NCAA College World Series in Omaha a dozen times. Five times in the last decade, they've won it once. You guys are aware of that. They were one of the last – we went a stretch there. We had a lot of first-time champions. Florida was one of them. The University of Georgia has been to the College World Series six times. That's right, six times, none in the last decade, and they've won it once. Of course, back in 1990, it was kind of one of a crazy thing, but Georgia was really good. But when you look at that number and you say, Steve, is that right? Yeah, that's right, six times. There's, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about that. How does that happen in the recruiting footprint that they have? You've got Atlanta and you've got you know, those great baseball counties down in South Georgia. I mean, how does that happen? How does Georgia only go six times and hadn't been in over a decade? It makes no sense. University of Kentucky has never been to Omaha at any point. They've never been to Omaha. The only team in the Southeastern Conference to hold that distinction. University of Missouri has been six times. None in the last decade, so they've never gone as an SEC team. But believe it or not, they actually won the NAFL championship uh, earlier, I think it was back in the 1950s. South Carolina, 11 times. They've been once in the last decade. And they've won it twice. And, of course, that's the uh, back-to-back years of Bray Tanner. So pretty good percentage, you know, for the Gamecocks there. They've been 11 times, and then they've won it twice. But they hadn't been in a while. Tennessee, pretty anemic baseball tradition there, which makes this year so important for them. Counting this year, they've been five times. Been once in the last decade, and that's this year. And, of course, they've never won it. And so you wonder. It's like, you know, with Lindsey Nelson Stadium and all that stuff, they're going to do these renovations. It's going to change much. You know, it might keep the coach around a little bit longer. But the bottom line is, you know, Tennessee has not been a baseball power. I know they'd love to be. And, listen, I think it actually is good for Mississippi State for Tennessee to be good. I don't know if we want them to be great. But if we can have them win in a game or two from Florida and Vanderbilt every year, it makes it that much easier for us to win the SEC. It'd be nice to have some, somebody over there with some girth in the East outside of those two teams. Vanderbilt, of course, uh, relatively new money. And you got to give them credit. This is going to blow your mind. Incredible, incredible percentage for them. 
they've been to the College World Series five times, four of them in the last decade, and they've won it twice. You talk about definition of new money. Wonder what changed. Wonder what changed at Vanderbilt. I'm not even going to say it. You know what? You know what changed at Vanderbilt. And again, there's nothing. There's nothing illegal about what they're doing. It is unethical, and it is a loophole. The NCAA needs to change, and there needs to be meaningful reform to baseball scholarship numbers. There is absolutely a lot of possibilities and solutions to get around this to ensure that there is Title IX compliance. And I think that there needs to have be some freedom for some schools, the ones that want to fully fund baseball, to be able to do that. All right, let's look at the SEC West. Kind of a shocker, I guess, in many respects. Alabama has not been to the College World Series since 1999. They've only been five times in our history, have not been at all in the last decade, and never won it. Five times. And you can say, well, you know, well, Steve Christ, the river, you know, Alabama's doing everything in football. That's true. But it is kind of shocking. You know, the, the Jim Wells years, you know, they were, they were pretty good. You know, they were a team that, uh, you know, in the, in the gorilla ball era, you know, when LSU was kind of feasting on, on college baseball pitching, Alabama was kind of right there with them. They were kind of LSU light, and they absolutely destroyed Alabama. Uh, Alabama destroyed LSU in the SEC tournament championship game and then turned around LSU won the national title. Arkansas, our friends at Arkansas – Ten College World Series appearances, four of those in the last decade. They've never won it. This was supposed to be their year. That's a tough thing to live with. And you look at what all they're losing, and it'll be a ton. I mean, it will be a ton. You know, there may be some guys that come back due to the COVID year or whatever, but uh, not going to be much. You know, anybody that wants to come back after the COVID year is probably somebody that doesn't have a lot of pro prospects. But uh, Arkansas, you know, kind of right there with State, I mean, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, we're kind of parallel programs right now. It didn't feel like that way when they came and swept us. But um, you know, when you look at the trending, you know, we're, we're both kind of moving towards that national championship type deal. Auburn, you know, Auburn was an SEC power in the uh, late 60s and 70s. I mean, they were, they were a team that uh, was pretty consistent. But just five Omaha appearances in their history. They've been one time in the last decade, and that's when we went and beat them in 2019 with the Marshall Gilbert walk-off. And Auburn's never won it. Auburn's never won it. The LSU numbers are gaudy. 18 trips to Omaha, three in the last decade, and they've won an AFL championship six times, and it makes me want to vomit. It really does. Because that should be us. It should be. You give Skip a lot of credit. Skip took a fledgling SEC program where they were having maybe 100 people come to the games and build it into one of the best jobs in the country. Without question. Very passionate fan base, administration that's committed to baseball. They get what they want. They do. And, of course, Mississippi State a dozen times, four in the last decade. And you could say, you know, Steve, it's been four in the last eight. But, you know, we're just using round numbers here. And, of course, we've never won it. Ole Miss, the most anemic tradition in the SEC West. Five times in our history they've gone to Omaha, just one time in the last decade. As I mentioned earlier, it's really one time in 49 years. And, of course, they've never won it. Bit of a surprise for most people, Texas A&M. They've only been to Omaha six times, and just one time in the last decade. And, of course, they've never won it, too. So, 
you know, there have been a handful of schools that have won national championships, only one of them from the SEC West. That's LSU. And they got six. They got more than um, just about everybody else combined. You know, Vandy, of course, has won a couple. South Carolina's won two. Missouri won, but they were not a member of the SEC when they did. And then Georgia and Florida have won a piece. LSU's kind of carried it for us. So the East, the current SEC Eastern Division schools have seven combined national championships in baseball. And LSU's carried all the weight for the SEC West. And so we talk about how competitive this division is, but the truth of the matter is, is historically, it's kind of been LSU's playground, and then the East has been a little more level in many respects. And, of course, Kentucky uh, not doing much at all over there. So uh, that's, I think, some interesting things to provide a little context about where Mississippi State kind of ranks. Well, you know, so Steve, it's bigger than the SEC, and you're absolutely right. Mississippi State is ninth nationally tied for ninth nationally for most appearances in the College World Series. Guys, there's like 300 schools that play D1 baseball. We're ninth nationally. Florida State and Clemson are the only two schools that are similarly situated with us that have had as many appearances and not won at all. Florida State is kind of the gold standard for that. They've been to the College World Series 23 times and never won it. Never. That was the hope in 19, Mike Martin and his group. And, you know, they do a great job of coming out of the gate and uh, kind of get things rolling. They beat LSU in a Super Regional, and just they just couldn't get traction in Omaha. And it was an honor, man, to sit in that press conference and ask Mike Martin some questions in the postgame, his final postgame press conference and, and his storied career. And I, I felt really honored to be able to be in the room and you know, kind of hear him talk. And he talked a lot about Ron Frazier and about Ron Polk and about Skip Burtman and, you know, some names that, uh, you know, are kind of pillars in the college baseball community over the years. And so I did, I did feel very honored. But I, th- I can't begin to imagine how that has to feel because every, how many years did it go where Florida State was a preseason number one? They'd have a number one recruiting class in the country. They'd be the number one seed in the tournament, and then they'd get bounced. They'd get to Omaha, and they'd go 0-2. They'd get to Omaha, and they'd get upset. You know, it's just like Mike just for some reason could not get it done once they got to Omaha. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's maybe they were pushing the guys too hard. I don't know. But they couldn't get it done. So 23 appearances for Florida State with zero national championships. And then Clemson and Mississippi State are tied for second with, at 12 appearances apiece. And, of course, Clemson no longer in the tournament. Never made the tournament this year. You know, that's the thing, too, with those guys. They're better years, so much they've been behind them. But, uh, you know, we played them a couple times, and – in the postseason and had some success but I'm ready to get that behind us you know it's like I get so tired it's like that's the one trump card everybody has to play on us in Mississippi State so go we got all these attendance records we got this great stadium we got these great fans you know got great facilities we got a great commitment to baseball and everybody's like well how many championships you got well we ain't got that yet he's kind of like the guy in many respects it's like okay he wants to date this girl so badly. You know what I'm saying? It's like he does all these nice things for her, and he makes all this amazing commitment. I'm not talking to any other girls, and I'm buying her gifts and doing all this stuff, but she won't go out with him. And it's like, well, do I just kind of hang in here and keep doing what I'm doing, just hoping one day she'll wake up and fall in love with me? And the answer to that question is no. It's no. 
you got to do something different. <laughs> if what you were doing was working, you wouldn't be uh, you wouldn't be single. And so I look at this college baseball coaching thing kind of the same way. And it's like you know if 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 you're Mike Martin, you know maybe there's some things you got to do differently. You know Mike, I know Mike's uh, younger son's taking over, but um, you know Mississippi State has had different coaches. This hasn't just been a run of one you know, historic coach here. You know, Ron Polk, of course, took us. Paul Gregory took us for the first time. Paul Gregory got this thing going. Doc Patty, I guess, to be honest with you, going back even before Coach Gregory. Doc Patty did a great job here, uh, kind of in transition. Uh, got Won some ball games for State. And, of course, Coach Gregory took us to Omaha for the first time. And then Polk took it and uh, made it a regular occurrence for us to be able to host regionals here in Starkville. But – it's not about a coach and that's the thing that I look at and I think about this stuff and man sometimes I get plum misty out of all this stuff you know it's like there are a lot of people out there their success is tied to an individual it's completely different here is that people come here and we make them successful they don't make us successful we make them success we make the coach the coach doesn't make us because the culture is already here the program's already here the fan support's already here so we've already got that done, you know, regardless of who's filling out the lineup card. As I mentioned, Paul Gregory takes us to Omaha. Ron Polk takes us to Omaha. His successor, Pat McMahon, takes us to Omaha. Polk comes back, takes us to Omaha. John Cohen takes us to Omaha. Andy Cannizzaro nearly took us to Omaha. Gary Henderson takes us to Omaha. Chris Simonis takes us to Omaha. So, again, you know, the – as John Bon Jovi said, you know, it's all the same, only the names have changed. Mississippi State is the program. This is not a coach's program. And listen, I love Ron Polk as much as anybody in the world. But Mississippi State was good at baseball before Ron Polk came along, and that's what attracted Ron Polk here. Ron Polk had already been to Omaha with Georgia Southern. He was a rising name in the coaching profession. So he was already a success, but when he came here, it was a great marriage, and uh, you know things kind of changed for both of us. But again, you know we were doing pretty good at baseball before Polky came along, and just again kind of run those numbers down yourself. Doesn't matter who the coach is, we win. Doesn't matter who the AD is. We win. We kind of lost our way a little bit there in the 2000s. Towards the end of Polk's uh, second tenure here, we kind of had baseball was changing, college baseball recruiting was changing, and we were kind of a little stubborn at times to kind of catch up, you know. And so, you know, things have changed. There's a major commitment to college baseball now. But, you know, I, I go back to the old statement of it's a Mississippi State program. It's not a coach's program. Guys have their own philosophies about hitting and pitching, that sort of stuff. That's true. You bring that stuff with you. But everything that you need to win is already here when you get here. Because our facilities and our culture attract players. They want to come play at Mississippi State. They want to wear the M over S. They want to be able to go play at Dirty Noble Field in front of 13, 14, 15,000 people. They want a chance to be able to go to Omaha. So... That has become kind of synonymous with the Mississippi State baseball experience. And I think it's important that we recognize that and give ourselves a little bit of credit too. 
you know, I, I watched the broadcast of the, the clinching game against Notre Dame. You know, when you're there, there are certain things you can see that don't make the broadcast. And, of course, there's some things that make the broadcast because I like to hear what the, the, what the commentators say. But I'm amazed at our fans. You know, when you're at the games all the time, there are things you miss. You know, I don't miss the game, and I don't miss the changes, and I don't miss what happens. And, you know, I get a chance to talk to Lamontis and players post-game. But I miss those shots of all you guys out there, you know, setting the tone for a ball game. I hear you guys, but um, you folks out there on the front row of those berms, man, you guys are rock stars, man. I love you guys, man, I do. And, uh, you know, when I walk in, I, I, try to, I try to give, you know, high fives or bumps and talk to everybody who wants to talk to me. But, man, those guys right there, man, and gals, and there are a few that are missing because I know that school's out. But, um, you know, when they showed the, the video stills of those uh, – video shots, excuse me, of those, um, of those folks out there on that right field berm, man, you guys were leading the whole thing, man. And it's like – I think about all those great Bulldog fans that came before us. They've turned it over to us, and here it is on our watch, and we're taking this thing farther than it's ever been before. We're going to Omaha with a greater regularity. We're recruiting at a higher level. Our crowds are bigger. Our fans are more fiercely loyal. You know, so all of this positive juice that we have is going to pay off. I just need everybody to hold the rope with me to pardon, you know, sorry, Skip. Just kind of hang in here with us, man. I think Chris Lamonis is going to get it done. Might get it done this year. I do think we're going to go to Omaha and have a good run, though. Even if we don't win it, I expect us to go out there and play well. I really do. You cannot, you cannot undervalue the experience of the Omaha experience already. You know, many of our guys have gone out there. Not, not a lot of our starters have, but, you know, the, you know, Cam James has gone and watched Keegan play out there, so he's seen the venue. You know, Rowdy and T.A. aren't going to walk around with their Instagram, oh, look at this, how great this is. They've already done all that stuff. You look at our side of the bracket, man. You know, Tennessee, they hadn't been there. It's been a while for Texas. You know, we're the most experienced team on our side of the bracket when it comes to postseason. On the other side is Vandy. And so, I, you know, I feel good about that aspect of it. I believe we will be mentally prepared to play. Probably need the pitchers to get through the first inning or two, you know, get off to a good start and kind of settle in and not worry about those big crowds because they're going to be big even for us. And I think we're going to be good. And we'll take it a game by game. And I'll, we'll, I'm bringing all my stuff with me, and I'll record out in Omaha, and we'll, we'll figure some things out. But I think it's important for everybody to understand is that we are capable of winning the national championship this year. We didn't sweep Tulane. We got beat in a Saturday game by Kent State. We got beat by Missouri. And you know what? All that means nothing right now. It means nothing. It's a brand-new season. It's an eight-team tournament. We don't have to go beat all eight of them. We just got to beat the ones that we play in our bracket, and then we'll hopefully we'll get to a national championship final series, and then we'll figure it out from there. It'll, we'll be right back to playing the best two out of three. So sometimes we complicate it. I think it's as simple as this. Over the course of the next week to ten days, we just got to be better. We got to be one game better 
than Tennessee, one game better than Virginia, and one game better than Texas. And then we'll just kind of see where that takes us. That's as simple as I can make it. There's all these big crowds, and there's all this hype, and there's TV coverage, and there's all these questions, and there's all this merchandise, and there's all the travel, and there's all the hotel rooms, and it's wondering where they eat. But at the end of the day, it's a game. It's the same game they've been playing since they were five years old, just on a bigger stage. And I don't think that that's going to swallow us whole. I think we are probably going to be more war-ready than anybody on our side of the bracket, and I think that's going to show. All right, let's get to the top ten list. Brought to you by johnnypacker.com. You guys ought to be familiar with it by now. I know some of you have gone and checked it out. Again, that's johnnypacker.com. What's cool is sometimes people reach out and say, hey, Steve, or they'll stop me at the ball game and say, I need to get some sunglasses. What's the name of that site? It's johnnypacker.com. Simple as that, johnnypacker.com. Go check it out today. All those frames are named after Mississippi towns. So you get, you, you get great style. But you get some Mississippi connection there. You know, what is it, the Hollywood style with the golden triangle flair? I believe that's how we're, we're pronouncing that or how we're running that phrase. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll save you a little cash. Use promo code Boneyard and save yourself 10%. And kind of a new arrival to the blue light glasses. If you're, if you're like me and you're behind a computer screen every day, it's smart to consider this as part of your vision plan, to get those blue light glasses. Those are now available on the website too. So if you pull up the website and it shows that your favorite frames are sold out, don't panic. Send them an email. They can get them reordered for you because what's happened is, is you guys have gotten involved. You know, the, the technology hasn't really kind of rolled with you yet because you guys are buying glasses faster than they can replenish. Okay, so it's very, very easy. They can get a hold of the warehouse. They can turn it around. These things are not on back order. So, again, if it says sold out, don't panic. Shoot them an email. They'll get you taken care of. That's johnnypacker.com, promo code Boneyard. And as always, a portion of every purchase is donated directly to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. An absolutely fan- fantastic cause. And uh, appreciate you guys for being involved in all that. Uh, Brandon, you and John both. All right, so let's do top ten list. I told you guys when we did the boy bands that boys to men had a category of their own. And so we're going to do a top ten. And so no honorable mentions. But the thing that I'll say about this, is we almost got a little bit of false advertising with those guys uh, so, I had that first album, you know, the Cooley High Harmony, and uh, it's named after a movie called Cooley High, which is phenomenal. If you've never seen it, you should. And uh, obviously, there's a song that uh, they, they made very famous. They remade it, and it actually is on a top ten list. I kind of broke my own rule here, but it's because of the fact that they, they really kind of changed it and made it their own. It's phenomenal. It really is. And so here's the list. A lot of ballads on this list because that's what they're good at, right? I mean, these guys, they're, they're incredible uh, harmony singers. It's almost like genetically that they're supposed to be together. All right, so here's the top ten, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this but because um, I don't know a lot of the history behind some of these songs like I do with many others. But uh, number ten is a song called Doing Just Fine, which is phenomenal too. It's uh, a song I wasn't quite as familiar with, but, man, I tell you what, the harmonies on that one, outstanding. Number nine, Water Runs Dry. That almost feels like a gospel song. I mean, it just, it's one of those ones that just kind of hits you, makes you realize, you know what, this is, a, this is a very talented group here. Going back to the first album, actually the lead track on that album is Please Don't Go. Kind of had a little bit of a Jodeci vibe to it, too, and I was a big Jodeci guy, too. Huge Jodeci guy. 
the first two albums. They kind of lost me after that. Then Casey and JoJo split, so it was different. But uh, uh, number seven on the list, a song from Mama. This comes off the Evolution album, if I'm not mistaken. Everybody's got a song like that. It's a good Mother's Day track, right? Number six, a, a duet of sorts with Mariah Carey, an absolutely beautiful song that uh, that'll put that'll hit you right in your feelings, man, about somebody you've lost. It's one sweet day. I've actually heard this played at funerals before, but uh, one sweet day is phenomenal, an absolute phenomenal song. If if you don't listen to any of these, go pull that one up. If that's the only one, if you say, "Yeah, I'm a good," yeah, Steve, I don't know, Boyz II Men, no, that one you got to listen to. I think the final five here, I think most of us would agree these are the final five. Number five, many of you would probably have this higher, but it's on bended knee. And uh, it's a song about redemption, reconciliation, saving a relationship, obviously. Number four, the one that started it all, and it's really kind of out of character. And this is the Michael Bivens factor. You know, when Michael Bivens was involved with, um, with Boys to Men, he actually discovered Boys to Men. You know, that's when you had you know, another bad creation and, um, and some other acts that were all involved with the, uh, the, the BVD family, the West Coast family, that's what they were calling them, if I remember right, all part of the New Jack Swing. So Motown Philly, which is a great track, man. It, and it's like there was nothing else in the catalog really like that. You know, they came out blazing with that. It was a great lead single, and everybody's like, holy smokes, who were these guys? And so Motown Philly, that's number four. Number three, and uh, many would say this is their biggest hit. And, uh, you know, if you pull up Apple Music, you know, it's usually the most downloaded songs are first. This is first, and it's I'll Make Love to You, and I absolutely will. I absolutely will. I'll make love to you uh, like you want me to. I absolutely will. That's number three. Uh, number two, and this is the cover song, and the reason I, I just I fought with this a little bit, and I said, you know what, this list is incomplete without the song. It's so hard to say goodbye. That is from the movie Cooley High, and I did not know that movie until... I learned about Boys to Men. I went back and watched it. This was, you know, back in the early 90s, uh, I guess 91 or so. The movie is fantastic. But that's where they pour, they pour one out, right? And you, that's, they do that in the video too. But um, it is one of the most well-sung songs I think that I have ever heard in my life. And I think whatever the original, the original writer had intended is exactly what Boys to Men delivered when they covered this song. And, and I guess it was uh, nearly what, 17, 18 years old uh, when they when they covered it. So it's not their original recording, but they made it legendary in my eyes. That's, it's so hard to say goodbye. But number one, originally on the Boomerang movie soundtrack, and if you don't know Boomerang, it is phenomenal. If I'm not mistaken, that was our first introduction to Halle Berry, and uh, she was still kind of the girl next door back then. David Allen Greer is in the movie. Eddie Murphy is in the movie. It is absolutely phenomenal. I've probably seen that movie 25 or 30 times. And it never gets old. It, it is a romantic comedy, but there's so many great moments in that movie. There's a lot of shiny moments in it. And, of course, you know it, it ends well. But um, the, the song is End of the Road. And the harmonies on that. I mean, if, if, that, if you don't feel something when you hear them sing that chorus together as four... I just begin to wonder if you're even alive. You know, maybe you're maybe you're a sociopath or something. 
I mean, the, these guys are so talented and those lyrics are so biting. They will elicit emotion from you, even if you're in a happy relationship and you hear that, because I think what we all respond to is authenticity. And that's what I respect about their music is the fact that, you know, it's so believable to me. It's like they're singing their hearts out and sharing their pain. And so there's that little part of me that maybe hadn't fully healed yet. I can hear that. I think, you know what, I, I felt that before in my life. And I think that's one of the, the great things about poetry and, and music is it is so relatable. And so that's top ten list. I hope I did this justice. I have some of you guys that uh, say, hey, Steve, I love the top ten list, but I'm not a big rock guy. I wish you would do more R&B. So this is for you guys. I wanted to make sure we showed a little variety this week. Now, we'll be back on Friday with some rock now. I'm not going to joke around with you. We did boy bands on Monday. We've done R&B on Wednesday. I'm jonesing for some rock. So we will raise our goblets to the gods of rock on Friday. I absolutely can't wait. And so I'll, uh, I'll tease that maybe on Thursday night. I know many of you respond to that stuff, too. You kind of like to know what the top ten list is going to be. But um, today is more of an R&B um, Bowie type show. So, again, check it out. I, I love Boys to Men, and I respect their talent. I had that on, I guess I had it on CD and cassette for some reason. Actually, I remember the reason. It's because I didn't have a CD player in my car. And so I had it on tape so I could listen to it in the car. And I had it on CD so I could listen to it in the house. Because I was as broke as the Ten Commandments back in those days. So, uh, But I, apparently wealthy enough to buy the same album on two different formats. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you're looking to find the Spotify list that Roy puts together, you can follow him on Twitter and on Spotify at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7, Dogmatic67. All right, the next segment of the show brought to you by the fine folks at CampusBookmart.net. Uh, Stan and Mammoth, Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. Uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of guys that listen to that End of the Road song and think about her. Uh, so... Go by, check them out, let them serve you. They are happy to have you. And uh, Miss Kathy Brown shared that the Omaha Bound shirts and the College World Series shirts on their way. So if you're looking for that, and listen, the Campus Bookmark's done a great job kind of keeping your wardrobe fresh. Regional shirts, Superdog shirts, and those Superdog shirts, I've got one now too, and I'll tell you, uh, it's incredible how comfortable that thing is. But it's a limited edition deal, okay? This is the only time of year you can get it. And then, of course, the College World Series Omaha Bound stuff is out. And so get it all, okay? And if you have to pick and choose, I think I'd probably get the College World Series with the Omaha Bound shirts uh, because, you know, there's no guarantee when we're going to go back again. Visit them online at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, I'll give you a phrase that pays. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Absolutely incomplete. And with all these great new shirts at your disposal, because if you're going to be getting on the road to go to Omaha, you better bring some gear with you because you're going to pay through the nose when you get out there. It's like going to the carnival. It's like going to the dadgum, uh, the, the fair in Jackson. You're going to overpay. Nothing, nothing, I've got anything against fairs, but, uh, you know, when you go to these fairs, man, these carnies get you, bro. They do. All right, so that's the um, that's what you got to do. Campusbookmart.net promo code BSR. Okay, so let's get into a couple other things. You know, College World Series hasn't necessarily been great to Mississippi State. You know, we go for the first time in 1971, and we go 0 and 2. We go in 79, and we go 1 and 2. 
So we finally won a game. 81, that's the Castoria-Gillespie group right there. We go one and two. 85, as great as that year was, we go two and two. We go two and two. And, you know, we were still the best team in America. And, again, a lot of times it's not the best team in America that wins an AFL championship. You think Fresno State was the best team in the country when they won the College World Series? They weren't. They just happened to be the hottest team in the country. That's another reason why I believe it could always be us. You never know when something's going to catch fire. You never know. 1990, that's the year after the 89 team, the greatest team in school history. We go one and two. 97, one and two. 98, one and two. I think we beat Florida that year, if I remember correctly. We beat Florida. But, you know, you know back in 97, you know, Dubos, uh, I guess we lose to Alabama in game one. If he wins that game, we might win the whole shoot match. That's how, that's how much it mattered. 2007, one of the only times we didn't win a game, and that was that's the Mitch Moreland year. We get hot. We get hot late. We find a way into Omaha, and uh, we had North Carolina beat, and we blew it. And then uh, Dan McDonald and Louisville blew us out in game two. So 0-2. 2013 is the only year that we have had a winning record in the College World Series. In 11 attempts so far. The only year we've ever had a winning record. And, of course, you get, it's a double elimination tournament, so you got to lose two to go home. But that year, because we won all three in the bracket, we sweep our side of the bracket, and we're just kind of sitting around waiting for our opponent for the College World Series final. And like all of you, I'm thinking, this is it. We have finally done it. John Cohen's about to pull this thing through. How incredible is this going to be? You know, we got Jonathan Holder out there on the hill. We got Ross Mitchell, you know, setting school records, throwing and, you know, didn't start a single game. And what, he had 13-0? and 0. You got Big West Ray out there. You got Adam Frazier. You got Alex Detz. I mean, you know, it's, it's incredible to think about that group, you know. But we didn't get it done. But we go 3-2 and two that year. 2018, we get back, and we had no business being there. It's not to say that we didn't have talent. You know, that's the crazy year, though, right? That's the year the stadium wasn't finished and that we couldn't even take BP on the field. And we got better, and we were able to kind of have a full-service baseball field out there. And, you know, there were a lot of problems. And, of course, we had the termination of Andy Cannizzaro. But, you know, we had, we had good culture. We talked about that earlier in the show. That's what happens. When bad things happen, culture takes over. And the expectation was is that, you know what, hey, yeah, this has happened, so what? We still got to go in some ball games. And give Gary Henderson and Jake Gotran those guys a lot of credit. They, they helped keep that team in the road, man. They did. We figured some things out, kind of found a sense of who we were. Guys like Elijah Mackin became stars. Jake Mangum became a leader in many respects. And so, 18, we get up there and we go two and two. We won the first two. Remember that? We won the first two, and then we lose to Oregon State in back-to-back games. I believe that year, too, if we found a way to beat Oregon State, I believe we win an AFL championship. As crazy as that year was. Because those kids were as tough as a $2 steak. They just weren't going to quit. I mean, look at what they had gone through. It's like, we just got to go play a baseball game in the greatest – you know, the greatest stage in the college game. That's all we got to go do. After all we've done, we had to fire a coach. We had to uh, have an interim coach. We're going through a coaching search. I got people in my ear asking me this, telling me that. 
I'm sure it felt like something like normal when they made it to Omaha. Just one one swing away, really, from, from turning that thing around up there. And then 19, we go one and two. We go one and two. And, and, and the 19 team was better than the 18 team. And the, the 19 team was more experienced than the 18 team. But we get a W over Auburn. And then we lose to Vanderbilt. And it was Vanderbilt's year, guys. It just was. They were better than us. I don't know they're better than us this year. You can say, well, still they beat us head to head. They did. We let them off the hook that Sunday game. I'd love to play those guys again. Of course, that means we're playing for a NAFL championship. But I'd love to play those guys again. It's a pitcher-friendly park. They're not loaded offensively. And I think that – I think Christian McLeod would like to see those guys again. The truth of the matter is I really don't want to see Vanderbilt again, though. I'd like to see them lose. I'd like to see somebody else on that side of the bracket show up. I just want to be there. You know what I'm saying? I just want us to have a chance to go play and have a chance to win it all. And, you know, maybe Vanderbilt's not the best matchup for us. I don't know. They're built more for that best two out of three thing. I mean, you throw Rocker and Lighter, you're thinking you've got the thing won. You know, if you're Mississippi State, you're thinking, I just got to win one of those games and get it to a game three, and then I can beat their Sunday guy. And that's what should have happened in Nashville, but we blew it. Couldn't get the big hit early. But I'm not worried about that side of the bracket yet. And one thing, too, that maybe you didn't know this, Texas, 37 appearances in the College World Series, and that's who we're going to play first. That's who we're going to play first. And, and I suspect they'll see Will Bednar. Yeah, the thing I'll say, too, about Texas before we move on, and then Friday we'll get into a um, you know much more in-depth preview of Texas, is that uh, Texas has not been tested in the postseason. Now, some of that is that Texas is good. I don't think they're great. They're good. We're good. I don't know that there is a great team in college baseball right now. I, I thought that Arkansas was great, but they, they're not the dominant team. And one of my astute listeners pointed out to me that I have been relaying false news to you guys for a couple of weeks now. Arkansas did sweep two series. They swept us and they swept Florida. I guess it's one of those things I'd kind of checked out on the SEC race, and even though I knew that, I'd forgotten that, so I apologize for that. But Arkansas, I still don't think they were nearly as dominant as some people made them out to be. It's like, oh, they're going to be so great. Yeah, they're really good. And I think the fact that there's not a dominant team in college baseball is great for us. You guys have heard me say it for months. We just got to find a way to get there. It's going to be kind of an even, a level playing field in Omaha. We just needed to get there. Okay, well, we've done that now. We've earned the right to be there. And what is probably going to be, you know, a, a tournament field with the most parity that we've had in a long time. How many years has it popped up and we get our bracket, we think, man, I don't want to play those guys. We felt that way about Oregon State. We felt that way about Vanderbilt. I mean, there have been several times the way the brackets fell, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, anybody but them. I don't look at our bracket and feel that way about anybody, and I don't think you do either. I think we all look at that and say, you know what, we got a shot, man. We can go win this thing. I mean, this is a regional against, you know, yeah, yeah it's not your typical NCAA regional. My goodness. Yeah, yeah, Tennessee, you know, I would think you could say that those guys are, are probably even with us. Yeah, they smashed us in Hoover. They're a great offensive team. But I also think we'd love another shot at those guys. I don't think they've seen the best of Mississippi State. 
and also that's the benefit too if if Tennessee has an advantage over us because they beat us and knocked us around a little bit, then why don't we have one over Texas? And so I think this is a very, very even group. I think UVA is probably the outlier. I think they're a, they're a, a really good team that got hot late, a pretty good team that got hot late. I don't know that UVA is capable of winning. I know O'Connor and those guys, very experienced staff. I just There's nobody on our side of the bracket I look at and say, oh, my gosh, we need somebody to upset them. You know, I want absolute chaos on our side of the bracket as long as we're not involved in it. Because I believe we're capable of winning this thing. I really do. I think you guys probably feel the same way. But this whole Texas thing, you know, I mentioned, you know, we we were tested in our regional, and we were unbelievably tested in the super regional. A lot of respect for Notre Dame. I undervalued them. I I, I knew that. I really felt we would beat them, and we did. I didn't think they were going to be as strong as they were one through nine. Now, they didn't have the pitching to pull it off. Because if they did, they would be headed to Omaha and not us, right? They had great pitching one day. Now, Bertrand came back and pitched really good against us on, on Monday. But Notre Dame, I think, has brought the best out of us, and I think they have made us a better team. They have made us find something. I think as a result, we benefit from that because, you know, I mentioned Houston Harding pitching his tail off for us. And I think now when we get ready to go to Omaha, he's definitely game your game three starter. I don't think there's any question. And so I think Notre Dame has really pushed us and really made us bring some intensity that maybe perhaps we didn't have for a while. When I look at Texas, yeah, they handled their business in the regional. They did. But look who they played. Southern. One of two teams that got in there, That's that. remember they upset Jackson State in a SWAC tournament? Well, of course they destroyed them. Arizona State, who fired their coach as soon as they were eliminated. And then Fairfield, America's sweethearts. But everybody knew they weren't capable of beating Texas. And so, yeah, Texas had, I won't call it a cakewalk regional, but it was a cupcake regional. And... As the number two team in the tournament, yeah, they should have an easier path to Omaha. That's how that's how brackets work. We're not going to be all Miss fans about this. I understand they should have an easier path to Mississippi State does at seven. But they really had an easy path. And then they get the benefit of the fact that Florida gets upset in the Gainesville Regional, who they were paired with, and it's not Miami that comes out of there. It's South Florida. I don't know if you guys know this. South Florida finished the year 31-30. and 30. That's right. 30, they didn't even have a winning record in our conference. But they got hot late, and they won the AAC tournament. And so they get the automatic bid, and then they get put in there with Florida, basically because they, you know, it was a geographic deal, and here they were. Nobody expected them to do anything. And they go in there and win the regional. And if you remember, the regional final was South Florida and South Alabama. And they had to beat South Alabama you know, to advance. And then they, get, they, they give Texas a little bit of a, you know, a test in game one. Of course, Texas gets after them in game two. And so I say that to say this. Texas has not been tested in the postseason. And when they were tested in the Big 12 tournament, they lost twice. So this is not an unbeatable team. This is not you just look at that and say, oh, my gosh, Steve, we go play Texas. I, I say, you know what, cool. We've already beaten them once. We're capable of beating them again. So when I began to break this thing down, so you know what? We can go handle Texas. You get in that winner's bracket game. 
you know, who knows what's going to happen between Tennessee and UVA. And let's say UVA pulls an upset there and all of a sudden we get them in face your number two. You know, we could easily stay in the winner's bracket and kind of wait for the traffic to clear. And so I think when you look at this regional and you look at this, this side of the bracket for Mississippi State, it is an absolute peach for us. It is not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination, but it's all very manageable. I'm excited, ready to go. All right, before we get out of here, let's thank our friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan's a guy that's uh, really serious about baseball. I don't, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story, but, um, you know, Brooks Bryan robbed a home run against the University of Washington that, that uh, sent us to Omaha. He's been there a couple times. Looks like he could still play. I don't. I mean, I like probably that I could play guitar. He looks like he could play Division I baseball. Uh, I think you're going to be excited about what you learned from Brooks. Listen, all of you guys have said at some point, hey, listen, one day I want to have a place in Starkville. One day I want to have, uh, you know, have a place to go either to live as a primary residence or a place to go, you know, just kind of keep our stuff up here. Maybe it's our weekend getaway. Maybe it's our ball game retreat weekend type stuff. Portico is absolutely the way to go. There is absolutely no doubt about it, and it's so easy to find. The next time you're in town, and maybe that's a couple weeks, or maybe you just need to schedule a trip. You come up here and you go, just go enjoy town when there's not a ball game going on, do some shopping, kind of ride around and look. But when you're coming in on 12 off of 82, it's the very first ride. It's Pat Station Road, takes you across Old West Point Road, and then there's Portico. Very, very easy to find. Newest construction great great neighborhood only a couple of houses left in phase one uh we got some dirt moving now for phase two and so once those begin to pop up of course there's going to be you know there's the supply and demand thing and a lot of people been waiting for the kids to get out of school before they made the move don't don't get left out okay i'm serious don't get left out and say well you know we wanted to live there but we waited too late make the call today get some information call brooks the phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks, happy to talk Bulldog baseball with you, but also, too, about making Portico your next move. All right, so before we get out of here, there are a few things that I want to talk about. And I think it's uh, it's probably important that we you know kind of take a few moments sometimes to kind of reflect a little bit. You know, I share with you guys, uh, you know, about our parents, our baseball parents, and how long a road this thing has been. But, you know, there's some things I didn't share with you either that uh, on the other side of this thing, you know, when we get out of media and we're, we're, there's so many little kids out there that are getting, getting pictures and that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, that stuff should never change, ever. In a million years, that should never change. And there will always be a relationship between, you know, young kids – and college ball, ball ball players, and and there should be. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, you know, how, how many of these kids did you hear hollering Rowdy's name? You know, that video, that video with T.A. and Rowdy walking off together. I don't know if that thing was scripted or not. I'd like to believe it wasn't. and But it was one of those things, man, just watching that thing. I think it hits you, man, that we only had these guys for a short time. I think it's one of the things that makes the college game so much more special than the pros. And there's a part of this, too, you know, you know, in the pros, you get drafted, right? In the college aspect of it, there is an element of recruiting where they have to choose us too. 
And there is some esteeming value in that. That you know what, these great players chose to come be a part of our family. And we all leave different, you know, and I think there's a part of us that we, we take a part of them and then we give a part of ourselves. Because how many times have you seen these guys, you know, Tanner Allen, Jake Mangum, everybody else, that these are memories that will last me a lifetime. And for them, it's, it's a new beginning, but it's the end of the road of our time together with them as active players. And the thing that I think about so many times is, you know, who's going to be the crew? Who's going to be the crew that, that, that holds up the championship trophy for the first time? Because it's not going to be the last one. You say, well, Steve, we've been playing baseball since the 1800s. We've never won it. You know what? Florida could say the same thing here recently. South Carolina could say the same thing. Vanderbilt could say the same thing. It's not like college football. We get new champions all the time in college baseball. And I think it's important that, you know, hey, we, you keep going to the, the, the barbershop. Sooner or later, you get the haircut, right? Well, we're going with greater regularity. And so I think it's important for us to just kind of hold the rope here and understand that our time is coming. And, I, again, I believe it's going to be one of those situations where once we get the first one, the second one's going to be in pretty quick succession. It's like we talk about with these Supers. You know, for a long time, we'd never been a national seed. For a long time, we'd never won a Super Regional. And that was something we just we, we struggled to kind of adjust to. You know, Polk and those guys were used to managing a 16 regional. All of a sudden, this comes up. You win the regional, then you got to go win the best two out of three thing. And it should have been easy. wasn't. But, you know, looking back at these championships, and I want to, you know, just kind of run these down for you. You know, let's just go back a little bit. Let's, I mean, let's go back, you know, maybe turn of the century. You know, LSU wins, right? Miami wins, Texas wins. You expect all those, right? You expect that to happen. But there was a time, Miami, that LSU had never won either. LSU was us, right? And they took the next step, and they began to win championships. And it made us all jealous because we, you know, we were so similarly situated as rivals. 2003, Rice wins the national championship. Rice, and they route Stanford 14-2. Rice, 2004, Cal State Fullerton. They don't even play football out there. They win an Apple championship. And then, of course, Texas, Oregon State wins back-to-back. 2008, Fresno State, who went 47-31 and 31 that year. They win an Apple championship. Then you got LSU, and South Carolina has there, too. Arizona comes back. They bear down. They win one in 12. And, of course, UCLA beats us in 13. Vanderbilt wins their first one in 14. Virginia wins it. They beat Vandy. Coastal Carolina wins it. Had you forgotten about that? Again, that should have been ours too. They beat Arizona, who came in here and upset us. And then they just kind of rolled right on through the bracket, and then Coastal smashed them. And then, of course, Florida wins it for the first time ever. And, And how many of you didn't know that? How many of you didn't know that was Florida's first ever championship in baseball? And Oregon State wins again, and Vanderbilt wins again. And so you've had some first-time champions. And Mississippi State, obviously, with our commitment to baseball, it is just a matter of time. And I think there is going to be a huge boost to the Bulldog psyche once we get that one. Once we get the first one, I think a lot of this self-doubt, this self-loathing, I think a lot of that will go away. There's always going to be some element of that. I mean, because there's some people that are always going to rest their own insecurities on Mississippi State athletics. 
It's kind of how things are in life. But I believe it is going to transform us as a fan base once we win. And so I bring up the whole thing about the first-time champions because I just want to say, why not us? You know, because the argument's always been, well, we've never won it. It's not because we haven't been good enough to win it. We hadn't been hot enough to win it. We've had some bad luck along the way. You know, Gene Morgan getting hit in the leg with line drive, and I'll be honest with you, I'm tired of talking about all that. I'm tired of that being our legacy. Because you know what? We had some crazy things happen. Mississippi State is snake bit or whatever. And so let's push through this, and let's go win this thing, okay? Because it's not as simple as us just making the tournament or making the field at Omaha. Warts and all, we're good enough to win it. We are. Big ballpark, really solid number one, Will Bednar with a 7-1 record. Christian McLeod, a guy that will benefit from having a big ballpark. And then Houston Harding, a guy that when he is on is almost unhittable. So you got a rotation that you feel like, you know what, these guys can go out there and compete with anybody in the country. As long as they don't go out there and hurt themselves, they go out there and execute pitches, they're going to keep us in ball games. Offensively, we got the SEC Player of the Year in Tanner Allen. That guy's going to play in a big league someday. You got Rowdy Jordan uh, leading that thing off, and he's having a phenomenal postseason the best postseason of his career, absolutely torching things right now. Cam James was your NCAA regional MVP and had a couple of huge hits for us on uh, Monday and Sunday. Or one, I guess he had one on Sunday. Uh, but my point being is this lineup is beginning to kind of round into form, this pitching rotation beginning to round into form. And you know what you got on the back end with Godzilla back there. So – I think it's important as we kind of move forward here is let's not as a fan base be to say, you know what, hey, we made it to Omaha, let's be happy with that. No, even though what we think and feel doesn't change anything, I think the expectations remain the same. The standard is the same. The standard is a standard. And until we get that first one, we're always going to feel a little bit unfulfilled, right? It's not going to be enough just to get back to the, this, the College World Series final. Once we get there, we want to go kick the door down. I'm excited to get there. I know you guys are as well. And I uh, look forward to being back with you on Friday. And we'll really wrap our minds around this Texas thing. We'll preview all the games of the weekend. And, again, I'll be traveling on Friday, so we'll record the show on Thursday. And then I'll be there for the games on Saturday. And, of course, Mississippi State's games uh, on Sunday and then Tuesday. And hopefully we're still playing beyond Tuesday. That's the plan. But I've got rooms booked through Tuesday night and as Mississippi State wins. I'll just add more room, more nights to my reservation. We'll go out there and have a good time. Hope to see many of you guys out there. Looking forward to being back with you guys on Friday. And, again, I want to thank everybody, too, that has been so supportive of the the new book, Blooms of Oleander. They tell me it's going to be on the Mississippi Best Sours list uh, in Sunday's paper. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that. It's uh, very exciting. You can find it at Amazon.com. You can find that Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, if you need personalized copies, you can contact the folks at Book Martin Cafe here in Starkville. Lemuria Books and Jackson also has it. And your favorite bookstore can get it for you. If you would prefer to buy through them rather than an online retailer, just call them and say, I'd like to get Bloomsville Leander from Steve Robertson. They can get it through Ingram, and uh, they'll get it for you. And uh, the reviews have been great, man. And that's the thing, too. When you put yourself out there, you never know how it's going to go. And got some great messages today. I've heard from, I guess, maybe half a dozen people here in the last couple of days that bought the book over the weekend and just said, you know what, Steve, it's, it's great. And uh, that means more to me than I can say because my heart is on those pages. 
Uh, Father's Day is going to be here quick. If you hadn't gotten Dad's gift, you probably need to do it quickly. You can find personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs, the book, at alphadogsthebook.com. Uh, I love every one of those books, too. I'm proud of everything that I've written. I've had so many people ask me which one's your favorite. You know, whatever I'm working on is my favorite. It's just how life works. Uh, but you can go by any great bookstore in Mississippi, and uh, with a few exceptions, and find those books. But if you want them personalized, you got to go through alphadogsthebook.com. And if they need Stark Villains gear, you can find that at starkvillains.com. Listen, uh, it's getting late again. I need to get some rest. And so, again, I'm excited about Omaha. I think we've kind of gotten over the euphoria of winning. And now we can begin to look ahead and say, you know what? We have a realistic chance to go out there and win this bracket. I think everybody, when you take some time and look at it and not get caught up in your emotions and just kind of look at where we are and who we're facing, we have a legitimate champion chance to go win that bracket and advance to the national championship series. All right, until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.